Would you please pray with me? Oh Lord, I thank you for your word. Jesus, I thank you for showing us the kingdom. I pray that you would help me as I preach and for each one of us, Lord, that we would understand how accessible you have made your kingdom and that we would long to be a part of it. I ask this in your holy name. Amen. You may be seated. The second week of Advent moves us more toward the first coming of Christ when he appeared 2,000 years ago. Last week we looked at his second coming, which is yet to happen. At some point in the future it will happen. And as we mark our candles of the Advent wreath, we start to move more and more toward his first coming, his birth, as we celebrate on Christmas. Now the scriptures today that are assigned from the lectionary point us to John the Baptist. And he is breaking a 460-year silence. If you go in your Bible to the like last page of the Old Testament, you know, you got... My, my Bible, there's about a half a page blank, and then it says, the New Testament. Literally, the last two verses say this. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. Talk about leaving things hanging. Elijah's going to come. And he's going to change some things so there's not destruction. And then there's a long 460-year silence. Do you know what a pause like that does? <laughs> right away, a pause gets your attention. You wonder, why did the sound stop? What's going on? Did Mike lose his place in his outline? Or has God forgotten about us? Has he closed the door to his kingdom and now we can't get in? Have we lost our chance? Our, there's no more second chances. Um, <clears throat> we also become aware of the noise of our own lives. When it gets quiet, you hear someone coughing in the background. You hear the AC system. You hear Highway 17 traffic. The minute there's a silence, we become aware of all sorts of other things. And on a bad note, sometimes we tune out and we think, ah, there's nothing more coming. I'm going to find something else that's more interesting. But on a good note, it builds expectation. What's going to come next? That was the situation when John the Baptist, this young fiery prophet, shows up on the scene, wearing strange clothing, eating strange food with long hair and a very ascetic lifestyle, and he's speaking with big and fiery words calling for repentance. Now keep in mind, in the last hundred years leading up to him showing up on the scene, the, the Roman Empire had gotten stronger, different things had happened, empires had shifted, and now Pontius Pilate was a governor in occupation in Palestine. So the people were, not only were they wondering, why has God, God gone silent? There's no prophet in Israel. They're also wondering, why are we under such oppression? They're, they're asking for God to come and heal and rescue and save. Oh, come, oh, come, Emmanuel, and rescue us. There was an expectation, there was a hunger. And now John the Baptist comes on the scene and there's a buzz about. What is this? Is this the Christ? Is this Elijah? Is this Elijah? Or one of the prophets? Who is this? Something was definitely changing. In all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, pick up John the Baptist as a key moment that sets off Jesus' public ministry. John the Baptist was his cousin. You'll remember the birth narratives. We'll get into those, but uh, not here, but at another time. And they grew up together, but in obscurity. And then all of a sudden, John the Baptist breaks on the scene, and then Jesus comes right behind him. 
Luke, in chapter 3, which is on page 858, gives us the exact historical marker of when this happened. He names who was the Caesar at that time and what year of his reign it happened and who was in charge of the different, uh, uh, it's called a tetrarch, um, a kingdom broken into four pieces and each given a, a quarter of the reign, and who was even the high priest at the time for the Jews. Luke has given us the exact historical marker when something really important happened, a major change. In Hebrews 9.26 says that Jesus appeared at the end of the ages. The age of the law and the prophets, the Old Testament has come to an end, and a new age has started in Jesus. And it's marked by his forerunner, John the Baptist, coming out. John is the last of the Old Covenant age. In fact, Luke later, in Luke chapter 16, verse uh, 14 through 16 says this. This is Jesus' teaching. It says, The Pharisees, who were lovers of money, heard all these things that Jesus taught, and they ridiculed him. And Jesus said to them, You are those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your hearts. For what is exalted among men is an abomination in the sight of God. The law and the prophets were until John the Baptist. Since then, the good news of the kingdom of God is preached, and everyone forces his way into it or is urged and forced into it. It can be read either way in the Greek. But the law and the prophets were up until John, John the Baptist, but now the gospel, the good news of the kingdom has come, has been made available in Christ, and people are rushing into it. They realize how good this is. And it was the religious types that were resisting it. These scribes, these Pharisees, these people who had a good standing and position in the old system were resisting what Jesus is making available. Jesus opened the doors of the kingdom of God in a whole new way for not just the Jews, but for everyone. And John the Baptist tells us why we need it and how to get it, why we need the kingdom and how to get the kingdom. So let's start with, with what's going on here in the wilderness. So it says that in, I'm looking, I'm back at Luke uh, chapter three now, it says that um, the word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. And then Luke quotes Isaiah the prophet, saying, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Now, let me point out an interesting grammatical uh, fogginess here. Where is the colon? In the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Or a voice is crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Is the voice in the wilderness or are the listeners in the wilderness? The footnote in the ESV says it could be read either way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. You go back to Isaiah chapter 40 and read what it says there. A voice cries, colon, in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. And it also goes on and says, in the desert, make a way for him, make straight his paths. In the desert, in the wilderness, which is it? Well, it's both, actually. John was in, literally in the wilderness, and he went to the region around Judea, around the Jordan River. He was outside of the city. But his message and Isaiah's message is, people, you are in the wilderness. You are in the desert. And there's a way being made and make a way for the Lord who is coming. Well, this, this wilderness isn't just a literal like outside of the city in the woods. It's a spiritual wilderness. It's a spiritual barrenness an emptiness, a, a hunger and a thirst that just isn't satisfied. People who are living in darkness have seen a great light, is what John's gospel will say in the beginning. 
And what is that darkness like? Well, <clears throat> I, I have to keep going back to C.S. Lewis. He sums it up so well and gives us a powerful illustration of the difference between living in the kingdom of God and living in a worldly situation. He says this. This is from The Weight of Glory. It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. What Jesus is offering is a new way of access into the kingdom of God. And John is telling us here how to get it. And it's through repentance. Repentance is the way in. Repentance is the preaching both of John, repent for the forgiveness of your sins, and then it was the preaching of Jesus. His very first message in, in Mark's gospel and elsewhere is the kingdom of God is near. It's at hand. It's upon you. Repent and believe the good news of the kingdom. Now, I have to say that in the church, I, I find confusion about the word repentance. We tend to use the word repentance to mean just simply confession. When you think of the word confession and repentance, you kind of use them the, the same. You interchange them. It's like, oh, here's a sermon on repentance. I have to confess some sin. I've messed up. But repentance is far greater than just confessing a sin. It's literally, metanoia is the Greek word, and it literally means change of mind. <clears throat> Meta means change. Noia means mind. <clears throat> so you were thinking about something wrong. We are going in one direction, and now through repentance, you turn and go in a totally different direction. It is a practical reformation that comes from this change of mind. Whereas confession is, I've sinned and I need to be forgiven of this thing, that's the start of repentance, but repentance is far bigger. It's renouncing a worldliness and a self-ambition and pursuing Christ and his kingdom and beginning to align your life with his kingdom. So the process does go with, I confess, I, I'm a sinner and I need forgiveness, but then I'm choosing to renounce a different way and come into God's way. So that's how John and Jesus both preach. The kingdom of God is at hand. It's here. It's present. And I think sometimes we miss the kingdom in the Gospels, and it's all throughout the Gospels. We hear kingdom of heaven, and we think heaven, like disembodied place I go when I die, not where Christ is ruling and where his reign is recognized. His kingdom has been brought here, right here, literally in this place, literally in this world, all over. And we pray in the Lord's Prayer that it would be here on earth as it is in heaven. What is true of heaven, that other place, in Christ has now been made possible here in our midst. Jesus opened the doors of the kingdom. And so what happens is a person starts to feel that wilderness, that spiritual barrenness, and, and they recognize the failures of seeking self-fulfillment. You start to feel empty. You're aware that you're spiritually dry. You're aware that you, you're you're just not walking right. And then you, you read the Gospels or you hear somebody talk about Jesus or you meet someone who is walking in the kingdom and you go, I want that. You see the mercy, the goodness of God. You see the acceptance that is being offered in Christ and you start to desire him. I want that above all things. I realize that those other things can't satisfy. Jesus maybe can. I want that. How do I get that? And then you renounce your way. This is where the change of mind comes. You go, I've been living for those worldly ambitions for far too long. 
I think I'm going to try something different now. I think. I, a change of mind. And then I make a course correction and start to go Jesus' way. And I become his student. I have to learn how to live in this kingdom. It's different. It's, it's a different way of living. And it's available in Christ. He has opened the doors of the kingdom. Now, I have to say this, that many Christians, and I'll put it in quotes, Christians are not disciples. They think they are because that's a church word, disciple, and the disciples were those with Jesus and whatever. But to intentionally become a student of Jesus, to be like an apprentice, is very different than to be a religious person who goes to a church and aligns with the Christian denomination, whatever it is. It's very different to be a student. If you were a student learning something, fill in the blank, whatever it is, um, I'll, since we had the strings today, I'll say, if you were trying to learn an instrument and you have a teacher and you are a student, if someone said, are you a student of the violin, your answer is yes or no. You're not uncertain about that at all. Now, if someone said, are you a good student or a bad student, that's a whole other question. But you know whether or not you are engaged in a course of study, right? That's super clear. So if I ask you, are you a student of Jesus? A disciple is what the, I mean, literally the disciple is a learner, a student, an apprentice. If you have become an apprentice of Jesus, you would be able to answer very clearly yes or no. And the, the disciple, the student, is trying to understand how God's kingdom works here and how do I become a kingdom person. And we do that by looking at how Jesus lived and learning from him. Even in that reading from Paul, Paul says, Imitate the way that I live because I'm imitating the way Christ lived. And I teach this in all the churches, he says. Imitate my way of life. It is a way of living. And Jesus has opened the door of the kingdom and invites us to come be his students and learn how to live now in this life in the kingdom of God. Now, Paul picks up in 1 Corinthians 10, 11, that idea of the end of the ages. He says, the end of the ages, plural, has come upon us. So there are two ends. You've seen me give this illustration before. And what's interesting is they overlap. John the Baptist was the last of the old age, the law and the prophets age, the old covenant. And then at Jesus' first coming, he has inaugurated the new covenant, but it's overlapped right now. And in that space between the two, his kingdom has been made accessible to everyone. But for a season, not everyone is entering into it. Not everyone has decided to receive what Jesus has and become his apprentice, his student. And the invitation and the word of John the Baptist is to come in. All flesh will see the salvation of God. And Jesus is going to do this work. Come be part of it. He revealed to us that the kingdom of heaven is all around. As you look at Jesus' earthly ministry, he, he had direct access to it constantly. And people were like, Teach me, how do, you, how do you pray? How does this work? Show me how to do these things and live this way. And they were coming in in great numbers. And it was, the, it was the message of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. He modeled kingdom life, he enlisted students, and he began to transform them to be kingdom people. So what here poetically says, every valley shall be filled, every mountain shall be made low, the crooked shall become straight, rough places shall be level ways, That's the heart transition that happens when one enlists as a student. He begins to make you the kind of person who does the kingdom things. It's not an external transformation working its way in. It's I'm allowing God in, so he'll transform me from the center out. And now as a student, I'm trying to align my behaviors with what is happening on the inside. It really is becoming a straight path. There is no more deceit. It's it's becoming clear how this works. 
But it only happens in Christ, in a relationship with him, walking with him, knowing him. So turn from worldly ways, worldly ambitions, the things that everyone else is running after, and enter the kingdom through repentance and belief in Jesus and becoming his student. Ask Jesus to show you his way in all of your life, not just your religious things. What does it mean to be a student of Jesus on your street? What does it mean to be his apprentice in your workplace? What does it mean to bring the kingdom into your household? When you're with your extended families, in your relationships, your friendships, in your recreation, what is it like? How would Jesus do those things in your situation if he was living your life? That's what it means to be an apprentice. And Jesus has given us an access to that kingdom that was not possible before. And he says, I'll be with you. And he's present here with us. So let me give you an application point that is, I think, helpful to change your thinking. In this season of Advent, go back through the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and maybe use a computer program or a concordance to do this. Look up the phrase kingdom. And kingdom of God or kingdom of heaven. Kingdom of heaven is Matthew's preferred choice. Other, other times it says kingdom of God or sometimes just the kingdom. Look that word up and ask yourself, is this talking about when I die and go to heaven? Or is this talking about something else? I think it's talking about something else. I think it's talking about how to live now with God in this place in a, in a completely different way. And then he shows us how. So we start to study the life of Jesus. I love the collect for today. I know many of you do. The second collect for second Sunday of Advent, that God has, called his, uh, has caused his holy word to be written for us. So read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest it. Go back into the word and reframe your thinking. Stop thinking, when I die, I go to heaven. Start thinking, heaven has been made available here. Jesus opened the doors of his kingdom. And now what does it look like to be a kingdom person? and invite him to show you that specifically in your situation. It will look a little different in each one of your situations because God has given you a specific life and he wants his kingdom to break into that life in all the facets of it and he'll show you how to do it. But we look at what the kingdom looked like for him and that's what it means for us. It's an invitation for us. So repent and believe the good news of the kingdom. Not about when I die, go to heaven. Now starting to live with God. And the interesting thing is, as we learn this, death no longer becomes a factor for us because his kingdom will never end, as we say in the creed. It will keep going on and on. Your physical body will end, but you won't, and God won't, and his kingdom won't. You're learning now how to be a kingdom person, and that will go on forever. This is the invitation that Jesus has made for us to become his students. So resolve to be a student of Jesus. The kingdom is available. Would you pray with me? Lord, I thank you for this grand invitation. I pray, Lord, that you would rework our thinking and help us understand it. I pray for more of your kingdom power in our lives to become like you. I pray that you'd be pleased with us and that we would delight in you. Help us to follow you, Lord, and walk with you in this world. I ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen.